Happy Easter to you. I hope you've already had a good one today. And Easter means a whole lot of things to a whole lot of different people, doesn't it? And maybe depending upon how you grew up, uh, Easter carries with it all sorts of, of traditions. Uh, Easter baskets, right? New clothes for, for church. Uh, you get dressed up, get pictures taken along the way. Uh, maybe a, a certain candy is always associated with Easter for you. Or, or maybe maybe it's a, it's a family meal and gathering and there's just some favorite dishes that become part of your Easter traditions or church or certain songs uh, along the way. And just a quick poll here this morning, just want to see if this service is reflective of the other two. How many of us are Peep fans here? Uh, Peeps? Okay, yeah, there's a few. That, yeah, okay, thank you. Some of you are some serious Peep fans, but the, the weight uh, and the sampling of the three services has been really anti-Peep uh, here uh, overall, I have to tell you. Saw in the grocery store the other day, I, I've never seen them. Maybe they've been around for years, but it was Oreo cookies with Peeps in the middle. Did you Have you seen these? That just kind of grossed me out. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I just give me the regular Oreos. I'll be good. I'll be good. Well, Easter can mean a whole lot of different things. But one of the things that Easter means to me is power. The power of the resurrection. But also the, the power to change our lives. And I really think that that's what we remember in this week of the, the calendar as we remember the cross, as we remember the tomb, as we remember the, the empty tomb and the resurrection, uh, the power to change our lives. And yet, uh, when we think about change, all of us can say, yeah, I need a power. <laughs> because most of us can admit there are some areas in my life maybe I'd like to change. Uh, maybe maybe it's a relationship situation. Maybe it's a, a job situation. Maybe it's a, some circumstance uh, or situation that you're just dealing with in, in life in general. Maybe it's something on the inside, a character change you'd like to see. Or maybe a kind of a besetting sin, something that's just, you've just struggled with all of your life. And how do you go about change? Where do you find the power to change? Well, let me see if this will help us to think about it. We think about change, some things I want to change, an area of my life, and sometimes we approach it with kind of willpower, which is good. There's been a lot of tremendous things done through willpower. We, we say, you know, I need more information, so education, or, or I need uh, resources, or maybe I need to change my environment, or change the people I hang with, or whatever it may be. And a lot of those things can make a big difference. But where that power is kind of, in some sense, coming from, from, from the outside, you know, and, it's, and over time, I kind of you know, it feels like I'm constantly kind of trying to keep keep that change happening and afloat. And it's not too bad if it's just one area of change, right? But when it gets to be a, a, a couple of areas of, of change, it gets to be a, a, a little more challenging along the way, doesn't it? How do you keep that change going? I think the resurrection reminds us there's a better power. It's resurrection power. Actually, when Paul was writing to a group of followers of Christ in a place called Ephesus, he wrote a prayer that he was praying on their behalf. And part of that prayer is that they would recognize the power that they have. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, here's this next phrase. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Think about well, the implications of what he's saying. That, that power, that great immense power that was resurrected Jesus from the dead, that's the same power that is at work in us and through us toward those who believe. He talks, he uses some Greek words there that we would be familiar with some of the words we've derived from it. So that power is where we get the word dynamite from. It's a dynamic power. The words working and worked have as their root, the word energy. That it's not my energy trying to keep things afloat, but it is the power of God working inside of me, that same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. So what I, what I want to suggest to you is, instead of this kind of power, God wants to fill us with His power. That He wants to work from the inside out. That it is God's power at work within us. That resurrection power to help me change my life. And to unpack that a little bit, I want us to turn to John's gospel, the 20th chapter of John's gospel. I hope that you have a copy of the Bible with you, whether a paper copy or electronic, uh, however you're carrying it this morning, but the 20th chapter of John's gospel. John records for us some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And in those post-resurrection appearances, we discover a little bit about some of the changes that God wants to bring to bear in our life through His power. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has the power to change my life, and that power works from the inside out to those who are being transformed as followers of His. The first thing that I want you to see is that God has the power to change my fear to courage, to change my fear to courage. Look with me, if you would, at verse 19 there in chapter 20. This is the day of the resurrection. So this is later in that day. The report has already begun to circulate that Jesus has been resurrected, and yet still lots of questions. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
Now, I want you to to see some things here that I think might be instructive even for our lives today. And the first thing is that fear often paralyzes. Fear often paralyzes. Here are these guys. They're huddled together behind locked doors, and John is very honest because he's one of them. John's very honest, and he says, for fear. It was for fear of the Jews, and perhaps rightly so. They've seen Jesus arrested. They've seen him tortured. They've seen him crucified. They saw what happened to him, and they know we're associated with him, and it's very likely we're next. And so they had what we would perhaps say are some legitimate fears. But fear has a way of paralyzing us. Maybe you've heard through the years when when we have a threat, we, we tend to respond with fight fight or flight, right? You heard that? You know, a fight or flight response. But actually, there's a third response that's very common, and that is frozen. It's not just fight or flight, but sometimes in the face of threat, we we freeze. That that fear often paralyzes. We, we, We don't know whether to turn to the right or the left. We don't know whether to keep going or pull back. We don't know whether to invest more resources or just call it a lost cause. And we get, we get stuck. Sometimes fear shows itself we're just stuck. We don't know how to go. We're not confident enough to move in any direction again. And this is what I know in working with people through the years, is that some of you walked in this morning stuck in some area of your life. Fear has frozen you. And that fear can take all sorts of different forms. And maybe it's fear of what somebody's going to think or do, or fear of the consequences if I do this or don't do this, fear of what will happen if somebody finds out, or on and on and on, on the list goes. But fear creeps into our lives, and fear often freezes us. It paralyzes us from pursuing God's best. God wants to move us beyond fear to courage. And notice what Jesus did for these fearful disciples, because I think the resurrected Lord still wants to do it for us today. He did four things. The first thing that John records is he came to them. What a gracious God. He came to them. He, he, didn't, he didn't say, hey, get your theology together. I already told you I was going to be resurrected. Now get out of here, right? No, no, no. In their frozenness, he came to them. And isn't that really the story of the gospel from beginning to end? The God who comes to us. The God who came to us as a babe in Bethlehem. The God who enters into our fears, came into a broken world, came into a world marred by sin. God who comes to us. And if you'll allow him, When fear causes you to to fight or flee or just get you stuck and frozen, God will come to you. He comes to you and he says, I want to work in the middle of your fears. And he also reassured them. He reassured them. So in verse 20, he just reminded them who it was that stood among them. So he just says, check out, check out the hands, check out 
the side. He wanted them to know who is the one who came to them. God. God knows your situation. God knows where you're at. And he reassured them that that God was still alive. God was still active. And maybe they thought it was a lost cause. And maybe they thought it was too good to be true. But he came to them and he reassured them, I'm not finished yet. And I'm not finished with you yet. And in those moments of fear, sometimes we begin to think, I can't do anything and God can't do anything. He comes to them. He reassures them. And then interestingly enough, he commissioned them. He, he said, I'm not done with you. There's still something for you to do. As surely as the Father sent me, in verse 21, I am sending you. God is unfolding his plan, and he invites you and I to be a part of it. And it'll look different at different for all of us. It'll look different for our own lives at different seasons of our life. But God has a role for you to play. God has something for you to do. He commissions us. There are things that God has for you to do. Fear will keep you from pursuing God's best for your life. Fear will keep you from fulfilling God's assignment for your life. But he comes to you. He says, I'm with you. I'm for you. I have something for you to do. And then he empowered them. He empowered them. He breathed, receive the Holy Spirit. It was a taste of what they would uh, get in fullness at Pentecost. They were commissioned with this message. Verse 23 talks about forgiveness and, and a lack of forgiveness. And it was all centered around that gospel message as they proclaimed the gospel. Some would respond, and in their response, there would be forgiveness. And in their lack of response to the rejection, there would be uh, no forgiveness along the way. But they, they were entrusted with this life world altering message. But he said, you don't do it alone. Now, here's what I want you to hear this morning, because maybe, maybe this is where you're at. Maybe you're feeling a little stuck. Maybe you're feeling fearful. Maybe you're frozen and paralyzed. Please hear me. God will never, 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 never ask us to do anything that he will not empower us to do. And I'm going to tell you, after walking with the Lord for a number of years, I am more convinced of that now than I've ever been in my life. Where God guides he provides. Not always in my time and not always in my way, but he does. Listen, if God has called you to it, he will see you through it. He will not dump you. He will not abandon you. He will come to you. He will meet you. He has a purpose in what you're going through or where he is directing you, and he will empower you. And so in the midst of my fear, I discover a resurrected Lord, a resurrected Lord who says you're not on your own and I'm not finished with you yet, a resurrected Lord that says what I have you to do, even if it's too big for you, it is not too big for me. It is not too big for me to do through you. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ wants to change. He wants to change my fear to courage. He wants me to live boldly and courageously in dependence upon him. But as the John story unfolds, as he recounts some of the events post-resurrection, he also reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to transform my doubt to faith. My doubt to faith. Beginning in verse 24, we, uh, we find that one of the disciples wasn't with the group initially. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? And maybe you felt like making that sometime. Thomas, to me, has been one that's always got kind of a bum rap. Historically, he's kind of been labeled Doubting Thomas, right? As if he was this cross-armed skeptic, kind of just standing there, patting his foot, saying, prove it to me, I don't believe it, right? But as I read the Gospels, I, I don't think Thomas's doubt was the doubt of a skeptic. I think it was doubt born of sorrow. His heart was broken. I mean, he had given up so much to follow Jesus. He had banked so much on Jesus being the Messiah. He had all sorts of expectations of what that was going to look like. And it all seemingly came crashing down when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and run through mock trials and crushed under the Roman might and crucified buried and you know they had seen a lot of things but dead people just normally don't come to life I, I don't think this was a skeptic I think this was doubt born of sorrow and I also think that there's some that are here today that are in that same situation you're not here because you're just skeptical through and through but there's some wonder. There's some doubt. There's some, yeah, God, but why didn't you in your life? You see, doubt creeps into our lives, sometimes through a lot of different doorways. Let me just throw out a few. Doubt sometimes creeps into our lives through our relationships, right? Uh, the, this person that I, I thought we were going to spend the rest of our lives together and, 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 and we professed all this love and we had all these plans and this is how it was going to go. And then one day, one day they walked in and said, I don't love you anymore. You begin to think, where was God? <laughs> Why did he let that happen? That friend that you thought, we have each other's back. And then you found out they've been stabbing you in the back. You think, who can you trust? Who can you trust? That child, grandchild, you've poured your life into them. You've prayed for them. You've sacrificed for them. And seemingly they've taken all that love and rejected it. And they've walked in an entirely different direction. And you can't even seemingly have a conversation with them. And you begin to wonder, God, I don't get it. And I tried to do everything right. And here these folks seemingly like they tried, did everything wrong and their kid turned out great. Sometimes doubt creeps in through the relationships of our life. Sometimes doubt creeps in through failure. 
God, I, I, I thought this was the direction. This is where I was going to go. This is what I was going to achieve. And, and it, it, it didn't happen. I, I, I failed. I, I, I feel like a failure. I feel like, God, you didn't come through. You didn't, you didn't deliver what you promised. God, it just doesn't seem like this should have happened to me. And maybe it's a, it's a failure relationally. Maybe it's a failure in a, a pursuit of a goal, a dream, a business, or whatever it might be. But, but failure kind of comes in, and it, it slaps you with a hard reality. And that failure makes you wonder, if God is there and God cared and God's so strong, why did he allow this to not come to fruition? Or sometimes just the general circumstances of life are the doorway to doubt, aren't they? You get that diagnosis. <laughs> no, no, no. This doesn't happen to people like me. <laughs> or the job that you thought you were going to be able to, to carry on and it was going to be the, the thing that was going to provide for your family and, and suddenly they come in unexpectedly one day and say, you no longer have a job. And you begin to wonder how, why. Why? You went into business with that friend. You had all these dreams, how successful you were going to be. You come to find out that unbeknownst to you, you had signed some things because you trusted him. And now all of a sudden, you find that he's walking away with the goods and you're left holding the bag. And you wonder, how could God let something like this happen? Doubt. Doubt often is born not of skepticism, but out of sorrow. But I want you to notice what Jesus did to Thomas, because I think it's a clue as to what he does in the midst of our doubts born of sorrow. Let's, let's just read together the next few verses and then unpack them. Picking up there in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What does he do? Notice what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't come and strongly rebuke or condemn Thomas, right? He does not deliver a lecture. Thomas, what of you, you're such a weenie faith. How could you doubt, Right? No, 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 no. He comes to him because he understands. He understands a doubt born of sorrow. And interestingly enough, he came to him. Remember we said in our fears, he comes to us. In our doubts, he comes to Thomas. And he comes, and he's, he's no, he knows what Thomas has been dealing with. He knows the doubt he's been struggling with. So he says, hey, put your finger here. Put your hand here. I heard everything you said. I know. I know. God knows where your struggle is. He knows the sorrow that becomes the doorway to doubt. 
He knows what you're dealing with. You don't have to hide that from him. In fact, here's what I want to encourage you with this Easter Sunday morning. Very often, if we will allow him, God will take our doubts and he'll meet us there. He'll take our doubts, and that'll become a place where he'll, he'll meet us. He'll meet us in a very real, a very personal, a very powerful way. But we have to come before him with our doubts. And here, here's, here's what I want you to hear. Go back and read the Psalms sometime. The Psalms are raw in a lot of places. I mean, it's, it's David got a, or somebody else screaming about injustice, or this isn't right, or the wicked are prosperous prospering, and they're, they're carrying all this stuff. God, why haven't you shown up? Why haven't you delivered on this? And they take it all, but they take it to God. And I just want to encourage you. God is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your fears. Sometimes we think, if I doubt, I pull away. I doubt I don't talk to God. No, talk to him out of your doubts. Talk to him in the midst of your doubts. And by the way, one other thing that Thomas did, did you notice he was still hanging out with those other guys? He doubted. He didn't believe. But he was still showing up. Here's what I have found. Sometimes, and I believe the enemy uses this in our life, sometimes in the midst of our sorrow, sometimes in the midst of our pain, sometimes in the midst of our doubt, we not only just pack away from God, we begin to pull back from God's people. Because we kind of feel, and shame on us forever allowing the church to be that way, maybe we feel this is not a safe place to doubt. This is not a safe place to struggle. But Thomas, he kept showing up. And sometimes the best thing you can do in the middle of your doubt is to keep showing up. To keep showing up among God's people and see what God does in the midst of his family. Please hear my heart on this, and uh, no illusions of this being a perfect church, because I wouldn't be the pastor if it were. But I hope unto God this is a safe place, a safe place for you to struggle, a safe place for you to have questions, a safe place to say, I don't have it all together, but I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up and see what God might want to do. And maybe on an Easter Sunday, this is your first time ever here, or maybe first time in a while. And I just want to encourage you. I think you'll find overall this is a safe place. Check it out. Allow God to use the body of Christ to speak into the fears, to speak into the doubts that you may have along the journey of life. By God's grace, He transforms my fear to courage. He takes my doubts and, and, and raises up faith. But he also will move me from death to life. From death to life. Look at the last couple verses in this chapter. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
with a purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In Jesus Christ, God desires for you and I to have life, a life that truly is life. And that life is, is first of all, an abundant life, an abundant life. Jesus, uh, in this same uh, gospel, put it this way, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, and they may have it abundantly. Hear me, the enemy of my soul and yours is a master deceiver. And he whispers, he whispered in the, in the Garden of Eden trying to get him to doubt God's word. And he continues to do the same thing. And part of that whisper is, if, if, you, if you go God's way, he's holding out. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on happiness. You're going to miss out on fun. You're going to miss out on, on joy. You're going to miss out on fulfillment. You're going to miss God's holding out and you're going to miss out. You got to go your own way. And he is a master of baiting a hook and saying, try this, try this, and it will deliver all of this. But what he doesn't tell you is there's a hook inside. There's always a hook. And the enemy doesn't deliver what he promises. Jesus said he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to, to steal joy, meaning, and purpose. To kill the activity of God in us, to destroy families and relationships. And that always happens when we, we, we depart from God's design, when we choose our way instead of his way. But God says, I came, I came, Jesus came to you to live among you. Jesus died on a cross and was resurrected from a tomb so that you could be restored to abundant life. But not just an abundant life, but an eternal life. One of the best known scriptures in all the New Testament is found in this same gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. And how I love to put my name in there and this and so many other scripture verses. For God so loved Jeff that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is not just a, a quantity of life, although it certainly is that, but it is a quality of life that begins right here and now. See, the, the Bible is crystal clear. Jesus was crystal clear. There's a very real place called hell and a very real place called heaven. And everybody's going to spend forever somewhere. And God in his love, God in his mercy intervened. He intervened because all of us apart from him were destined to be apart from him forever in a very real place called hell. But he intervened to offer to us a way a way back to him, a way back to life, abundant and eternal. The reality of sin prevents me from having the life God intended for us to live. I am convinced that, that life works best when it's aligned with God's design. And I've been saying that for years now. 
What happens to all of us is that, that we, we, we depart from God's design. We, we decide to go our way instead of his way, that, that we know better or we can make, take a shortcut or whatever it may be. And when, when we go our way, the Bible calls that departure from God's design sin. It's rebellion against God, his love, his holiness. And that sin always leads to a brokenness. And we see evidence of brokenness all around us, don't we? I mean, look at the news. Look in our own lives. Look in relationships. Brokenness seems to rule and reign. And yet here is grace. Here is Easter. Here's the gospel. Jesus came and entered into our brokenness. He came into a broken world and lived the life that I was called to live, aligned with God's design, an attunement and an alignment with God's love and holiness. And he died the death I deserve to die because of my sin and rebellion, the just punishment for my sin. And he was resurrected so that he could offer to us forgiveness of our sin and a restoration of the life that God has for us. And then he fills us with his spirit so that he begins this transformation from the inside out so that we begin to continually recover and pursue God's design for our lives. Paul, who wrote this same thing to the Ephesians, would write to the Philippians, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. And he does all of that because of his love. And because of his grace, and because of what he did on the cross. I read a story a short while ago about a a dad driving down the road. It was kind of a springtime day, not unlike this weekend's been. And days like that just beg for you to have the windows down, right? I mean, even though there's pollen and all those things, it just just seems like you ought to have the, the window down. Well, he did and had some cra- you know, cracked a little bit and a bee got in. Now, I don't know, have you ever had a bee in your car while you're driving? I mean, I have almost run off the road a few times because of a bee in the car. Right? It's a total overreaction, but it's just like, you know, oh my gosh. Well, this dad was kind of going through the same thing, but what heightened his response was the fact that his daughter was in the back seat. His daughter, who was highly, highly, highly allergic to bee stings, and he knew something had to be done. And so the girl, she's, she's crying. She's, Daddy, there's a bee, there's a bee, I want to get stung. And she knew. She knew what happened to her when she got that. And so he rolled down all the windows trying to hope the bee would fly out. It didn't. He tried to find a place to pull over as quick as he could. He finally pulled over and he whips off his seatbelt and he leaps into the back seat and he's trying to figure out how do you get this bee and he didn't have anything to kind of swat it with or hit it with. And the girl's just crying. And, and finally, he just takes his hand and he kind of just, you know, puts it up there against the windshield over the bee and then grasps it and then just hangs on for the inevitable sting right and see some of you just flinched just then right you're just, you're just thinking about it and they took the bee and threw it out the window and the little girl saying daddy 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 what if, what if the bee comes back he said oh honey that bee can't hurt you anymore And he turned up his hand, and there was the little stinger of the bee. 
You know what Paul wrote? He wrote to some folks in a place called Corinth about a sting, about the sting of death, and about a Jesus who took that sting in his nail-scarred hand. Here's the words that Paul used. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus took the sting of death, the sting of sin, and he took it upon himself and those nail-scarred hands in that pierced side, and he took all of my sin upon himself so that he could set me free, so that I could move from death to life, so that I could experience again the abundant life he designed me for, the eternal life that he intended me for. And it can be all of ours, but... But, take you back to Ephesians that we started with this morning. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. John, that by believing you may have life in his name. To experience the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to believe. But I'm convinced that belief has been used in so many different ways in our culture that it's kind of lost its meaning. It's lost its biblical meaning, as the New Testament writers would have talked about it. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, I want to make sure that there's, there's crystal clarity of, of what it means to experience this life-giving power. How do I experience this life-changing power? Well, in education, you used to kind of joke that you had to have the foundations of the three R's, and if you had those foundations, you could go just about anywhere. Reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? <laughs> Some of you have heard that. Well, I think belief kind of has three R's, and it's the key to experiencing that life-changing resurrection power. The first R is to recognize, to recognize that my sin and my, my choices, my rebellion has separated me from God, his love, his purpose, his power now and for all eternity. To recognize that there's nothing I can do in myself and not enough points I can make, not enough good deeds I can do, not enough religious activity that can ever close that gap or forgive my sin. To recognize that apart from the intervening work of Jesus Christ, I'm hopeless and helpless. The second R is to renounce. To renounce any thought that I can rescue myself. To turn from uh, my self-directed life, renouncing my independent rule and submitting to His rule. Renouncing any delusion that I'm good enough all my own. And then rely. Rely upon the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Rely on the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. 
rely on him, crying out to him, God, I, I, I trust you. I need you to be my rescuer and forgiver. I need you to be my leader and Lord. I can't do this uh, apart from you. It's just like uh, trying to keep a lot of balloons up in the air. I need you to come inside me and do a work from the inside out. I need you to transform me. And so I cry out, renouncing self-righteousness and self-direction and self-rule and relying totally on the finished work of Jesus Christ and relying on him to be the rightful leader and Lord of my life and relying on his power to make it so. And so as we come to the close of this teaching time, in just a moment, we're going to spend just a little bit more time in worship on Easter Sunday morning. But I just want to take a moment and lead us in some prayer. And I want to pray for you. And then I want to come behind that and lead some of you this morning in a very specific prayer. A prayer of recognizing, renouncing, and relying. Would you bow your heads with me right now, please? Oh, Father, how we thank you that you are the God of resurrection power. That death does not have the final word, but that you have the final word through the victory that's been won through Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I pray today knowing that, that all of us encounter the reality of fear. And Father, I, I pray, Lord, knowing that there may be some folks here that are fighting a fight, that are fleeing from a fight, or some folks that are just frozen in the midst of it right now, Father, and they, they need you to come to them anew and afresh in their fear. They need a reassurance of of your power and your presence. They need a redirection of their life. Father, would you just, in the midst of their frozenness, in the midst of their fear, would you just remind them that you are able, that you are greater than whatever it is they're facing right now. Father, there are many in this room right now that this past year has been a challenging one. And Father, sometimes those challenges create a doorway for doubt. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to some hearts and minds right now, letting them know that you're not afraid of their doubts, that you want them to bring their doubts fully and completely to you, and just encourage them to stay connected to you and to the body, to have a safe place where they can watch you work step by step, moving them from doubt to faith. And Father, there are some here right now this morning that this Easter Sunday morning is a divine appointment. It's the day that you have appointed to draw them from death to life. And so, Lord, I just pray even now that your spirit would draw them because I can't, but you can And Father, I pray that you draw them to a saving faith. And as you just continue to pray before the Lord, and maybe you want to spend just a few moments looking over those questions that are in that box in your note-taking guide that invite you to make it personal. But there's another prayer that I want to just give voice to right now. And for some of you in this room this morning, this is why God has you here. This is the prayer that you need to pray. And I'm just going to pray it out loud, and there's nothing magic about these words, but they, they can be so powerful. 
And if these words will serve you, adopt them, adapt them, and in the quietness of your heart and mind, just pray them to the Lord right now. Let me lead you in that prayer of belief. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And Lord, today I recognize my need. I recognize my sin and rebellion. I recognize my separation from you. I recognize that there's nothing I can do to rescue myself. And so, Father, by your enabling grace, I renounce. I renounce any trust in my goodness. I renounce my self-rule. And I turn from that and I turn to you. And Father, by faith right now, I just rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross and what you certified and affirmed through the resurrection. So I cry out to you, be my rescuer, be my savior. Forgive my sin, cleanse my life. Be the leader and Lord of my life from this point forward. Father, thank you that you are going to work in me from the inside out, transforming me more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.